great to see you, New City Church. Grateful to have each of you here across our campuses and joining us via online today. It's wonderful to, uh, to have all of you. As the great scholar and theologian Buzz Lightyear once said, <laughs> to infinity and beyond. And that's where we're going. We're going beyond. In our next installment of the book of Acts, we're looking beyond the city of Jerusalem as the church continues to expand and spread. We're looking at the book of Acts because it's Luke's great documentation of Jesus's declaration. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you're a part of that continuation, that declaration today. And Luke wants to document the beginning of that in the book of Acts. And that's what we're studying. We started our study several months ago with a series entitled Witness. And we looked at the key verse of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which was the key verse for our series Witness. Jesus said this to his disciples at his ascension, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we tracked how the beginning of that witness looked in the city of Jerusalem primarily in chapters 1 through 5. And now as we come to this second installment in the book of Acts, we'll look to go beyond Jerusalem. And we're going to be studying the chapters of uh, chapter 6 uh, through chapter 12. And we're going to be in that for the next couple of months. And so I want to encourage you as a church to dig in to, to Acts chapter 6 through 12 and read it on your own and discuss it in your groups and really make it centered in your life. And be here, of course, to hear the messages because we're going to talk about the gospel and the gospel witness of the early church going beyond Jerusalem. And our key verse for the series beyond is going to be the inverse of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and witness. We're going to look now at Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And we're going to talk about how Saul approved the execution of Stephen. And we'll get there next week in our text. And then listen to this, Acts chapter 8 verse 1. There arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. People began to spread out, and they went beyond the city of Jerusalem and beginning to take the gospel witness to other places and regions, and indeed to the very ends of the earth. So again, we're going to cover uh, chapter 6 through 12 in this series. This will take us all the way through the end of June, if you can believe it or not, and just want to encourage you to be here for it. So turn in your scriptures today uh, to Acts chapter 6. It's going to be our beginning text if you have a copy of the scriptures, please open to Acts chapter 6, or you can find it on the New City app. It's already preloaded there with the outline and the sermon notes to take there as well. And while you're turning, let's pray together. God, we're so grateful today for your word because it nourishes us, it encourages us, it sets for us a firm foundation in your truth. We believe today that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands firm forever. And so may your word now encourage us, inspire us, correct us, and equip us for every good work that you've prepared in advance for each and every one of us. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. A complaint arose. 
Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word today. Verse 1 is loaded with truth for us to hear today as a church. So let's spend several minutes talking about this very first verse in Acts chapter 6, the first verse of our new series, Beyond. Let's look at it in two different sections. The first section is this idea that Luke expresses that the, the word of God was going forth and that the number of the disciples was increasing. He says that in those days, the disciples were increasing in number. And let's stop right there and talk about what's happening in context. Verse, or chapter 5, you'll remember, ends with the apostles again being arrested. They're questioned before the Sanhedrin, the council. They were beaten and they were released. And then Luke closes out chapter 5 in this way, verse 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The church is simply exploding. What Luke is expressing as he begins chapter 6, now in these days the number of the disciples was increasing, is an understatement. The church begins with 120 and from the end of chapter 2 to the end of chapter 5, we see the church go from 120 to over 10,000 people strong. In three short chapters, the church increases in an exponential way. And Luke documents that. He wants us to understand it. But he also wants us to understand this as we jump into this next series and look at chapter 6. That growing churches have growing challenges. Growing churches have growing challenges. Growing organizations have growing challenges. Growing families have growing challenges. Growing people, individuals, have growing challenges. And it's important enough for Luke to document it for us to see that in the midst of the church growing and exploding in the city of Jerusalem, now in chapter 6 they begin to experience some significant internal challenges. The very things that are growing the early church, namely the preaching and the teaching of God's word through the apostles, comes under attack. Not this time from external persecution, which we've seen in chapters 3 through 5 in a very vivid way in the book of Acts. But now it comes from where? From inside. It's not external persecution now, it's internal issues within this growing church. And both external pressure and internal challenges can stop an organization, can stop a church dead in its tracks. Even the early church 
had issues. Even the early church had issues. And we see something very important here. A growing and healthy church still has challenges and even, yes, complaints. There is such a thing as growing pains. And the church is experiencing them. And Luke wants to document that for us. The growing number of believers leads to a growing strain on the apostles and their leadership structure. To put it plainly, the structure that birthed the church cannot be the structure that will maintain or grow the church. And I believe Luke includes this documentation for a reason. God wants to grow his church. Not a church, but the church. But we need to understand and know as Christ followers, and we need to expect that with growth comes changes and challenges. And a healthy church and congregation will always experience healthy changes and challenges. And by the way, unhealthy organizations and unhealthy churches and unhealthy families and unhealthy people will experience unhealthy changes and challenges. It's just a matter of what changes and challenges you want to experience. Historically, can we be honest? Historically, we as a church together, capital C Church, haven't always handled these changes and challenges well. Am I alone in thinking that? Today, if you're looking for a church, if you're looking for a church without any challenges or changes in the New Testament, as you read about the new church that's exploding because of Jesus on the pages of our text, if you're looking for a healthy church that, that, that has no challenges and no complaints and no changes, you won't find it in the New Testament. And you won't find it today on this side of eternity. Because every single church, every single organization, every single family, every single neighborhood, every single city, every single country, every single individual has challenges, has problems. And you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. If you find the perfect church, you shouldn't join it because you'll mess it up. (laughs) And you might just be joining a cult if you found a perfect church because there are no such thing as perfect churches. But there are healthy churches. There are healthy churches. There's not a perfect church, but there are healthy churches. And we see even here on the pages of Acts, this documentation of the early church that even though the church isn't perfect, it is healthy, and healthy churches have challenges. And can I say this, as Christians, as Christ followers, for those of you who follow Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, we have to be very careful that we never see more people being added to our congregation or our, our specific church, our local church, that we never see new people and more people coming as the problem. It would have been very easy for the apostles and the original 120 disciples to see all these 10,000 plus people that have been added to the church as the problem. Everything was fine before these new people got here. But now we have all these changes and we have all these challenges and it's their fault, but we don't see that. And we have to be very careful that we don't don't adapt that, that mentality. Because in gospel ministry, more people being added to the local church is never the problem. People are the mission. People are our purpose. It's why Jesus came and it's why we exist. So we have to be careful because if we see people as the problem, it sets us up as preservationists of our church. Hear me on this. It sets us up as preservationists of our church with closed hands. 
instead of open hands and saying we want to be expansionist of the church, capital C, and of the gospel. The intersection that we see here in verse 1, Acts chapter 6, is a very important intersection for us to take note of. The church is increasing in number and a complaint arises. A challenge comes. The word word in the Greek for complaint is challenge or conflict. Growing churches have growing challenges and conflicts. Same thing with people and organizations and, and families. And this intersection between the first part of verse one and the second part of verse one is really that. It's an intersection of either growth or decline. And the space that is going to fill this intersection between the growing church and the growing challenges is this thing called leadership. And the apostles, specifically in the context of our text, have to step up and provide uh, accurate and good leadership to the church in this moment. Because this is a moment for the church. If, if this conflict and challenge, if this complaint isn't handled rightly, it could take the church off the rails and their mission could stop. And the same is true for us today. Did you know that at most intersections, that's where accidents occur? According to statistics, most accidents, motor vehicle accidents happen at intersections. It makes sense, right? People are coming together. There's opportunity for a lot of decisions to be made and mistakes to be made. And it's oftentimes at those intersections where most accidents happen. And the same is true for leadership as well. It's in these intersections between growth happening and challenges coming that that most uh, accidents occur. But it's also at intersections where momentum happens and where right direction happens. And what we see here in the early church is something incredible, and that is the leaders of the church, the apostles, rightly handling a challenge. And as all of us as Christ followers, as leaders, every single one of us, as servant leaders, we have to do the same. Let's talk a little bit about the second part of verse 1, this complaint that arises from the Hellenist. There are two main groups of people within the church at this time in Jerusalem. This 10,000 plus group of people in Jerusalem, these Christ followers, there's Hellenist and there's Hebrews. And both of them are ethnic Jews. They're both Jews, but they're culturally very, very different. Their heritage is Judaism and now they're Christ followers. But they're two different groups. And the main separation between the groups is the language that they speak. Hellenist were Greek-speaking former Jews. Uh, Hebrews were Aramaic-speaking former Jews. Now they're all Christ followers, but they bring very different backgrounds and very different cultures. The Hellenists were, were primarily a part of the diaspora, who were uh, people, Jews living outside of Palestine. The, the Hebrews were, of course, stayed, stayed within Palestine. And they bring with them all different kinds of backgrounds and, and histories and, again, culture and language. And we do the same, don't we? When we meet Jesus, we, our background and our family histories and, and where we came from and our experiences, they don't, they don't just go away. We bring all of that with us. And, and sometimes those backgrounds and different cultures and things can cause conflict. Are you with me? Marriage is a great example of this. When you, when you marry your significant other, you bring with you your family and your background and your history, and you have to learn to become one. And even though you're one in God's eyes, you have to, to learn and work to become one in reality. Any, anybody else with me? My, my wife is watching from Matthews West via live feed, so she's listening on this. And thank you for your grace, Jen, to me and us becoming one. We have to learn to live with each other in an understanding way, don't we, as, as a group of Christ followers. And that's what we see happening here. 
this, this, this distinctive groups of people, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, and, and again, bringing their different backgrounds and their cultures. And this isn't a new conflict, by the way. Can I say that? This is a conflict within Judaism that existed between these two groups, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Their languages and their cultures and their backgrounds caused them to clash before. And most of the conflicts that happen in our life are not new conflicts. They're old conflicts and things that have happened that resurface or that we don't deal with properly. The Hellenists typically regarded the Hebrews as narrow-minded and self-centered. The Hebrews looked at the Hellenists and thought they were liberal. They don't worship the way that we think that they should worship. And in fact, guys, they had, even within Judaism in Jerusalem, before they came to Christ, they had two separate synagogues. Even though they worshiped the same God, they could not get along, so they worshiped separately. I mean, can you believe that? That people who believe in the same God would worship separately in different places because they couldn't get along? I mean, that's that's amazing. I can't believe that would happen. And now as, now as Christians, they've all come together as one church. And even though they can't all gather in one place as 10,000 plus people, they're operating as one church, as we should today. There's only one church in the city of Charlotte. And even though we operate in different places and in different ways, we're, we should see each other as one in Christ. They've come together and now this conflict comes with the new church and they've got to figure out how to deal with it. The, the, the specific complaint, look at your text, is that the Hellenists, the Greek speak, speakers, they believe that their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And we get a little bit of an insight into the function of the early church. Not only were they teaching and preaching God's word and going from house to house and witnessing, but they were also caring for the needs among them and around them. And we get a great insight into our job as a local church as well. That it's also spiritual, it's spiritual, but it's also physical. That we want to proclaim, but we also want to demonstrate the truth and the word of God. And that's happening here. But what's, what specifically arises is this complaint that this group of people is being overlooked. Specifically the widows and the dis- distribution of food. And, and what we see here is not a willful neglect. Let's say that. In chapter 5, we see a willful neglect by a group of people, uh, namely a couple that doesn't do what they're supposed to do, Ananias and Sapphira, and God deals with that a certain way. Here we see an unintentional neglect, and this needs to be handled with conversation and with reasoning with one another, with handling this challenge rightly. Let me just take a moment as we look at this complaint specifically in verse 1 and talk about two different types of complaints, if you will. There's a purpose-driven challenge. And that's what we see here in verse 1. There's a group of people in the church that are being overlooked. And, and the church has said that their purpose is to proclaim God's word, but also to care for one another. And there's a significant group of people that's not being cared for. And this challenge comes from the Hellenists to say, look, we're not fulfilling our purpose here. That is a very helpful thing to happen in a church, in an organization, in a family. Something's not happening that we say should be happening according to our purpose. But there's also sometimes in life, there's preference-driven complaints. And those are things that are often driven by the way that we want to see things happen. Not the, not the actual function of them and the, the purpose of them, but the preference of how we want to see that happen. And those are oftentimes driven by our own desires and our own needs. Let me give an example from the text. A preference-driven complaint would be, the food that you're serving to our people is awful. We don't like it. A purpose-driven challenge would be, you're not serving this group of people. Do you hear the difference? Can, can I push a little bit more on this? 
A a preference-driven complaint usually begins with the pronoun you. You're not, they're not. A purpose-driven challenge usually begins with the pronoun we. We say we're about this, but we're not doing this. We need to do a better job with this. We're overlooking this group of people and we together need to take this up, this challenge and do a better job. Do you hear the difference? We have three in our house, three kids right now, 13, 12, and nine. And sometimes we venture, we're we're learning to, to not do this, but sometimes we venture to a place called Costco together, the five of us. And this becomes, oftentimes our journey to Costco becomes an exercise in preference driven complaints. Um, we're there for a purpose. Jen and I are there to keep these people alive, right? Uh, we're there to get food. We're there to get, um, you know, 1,500 paper plates and the things that we need to, to make our little family unit, our little organization work. But sometimes the people that are with us don't always see that greater purpose. And oftentimes the, the words that are given to us on the aisles of Costco are preference-driven complaints about wanting to buy, you know, 26 pounds of Lucky Charms or, or whatever they think that we need to survive as an organization, as a family. And, and, and this is so true, and, and I'm sure in your businesses and, and your organizations that you're involved in, in schools and in government, and, and it's true in the church. We have to be able to differentiate, right, between a, a purpose-driven challenge that can help a church. We're going we're gonna to get into it and see how this helped the church so much to grow, to, to take this purpose-driven challenge and to get better. But we have to be really careful to differentiate between those and preference-driven complaints. And, and if I can say this, because I know that many of us were, were just still getting to know each other, I'm asking God personally to help me as a leader and as a person to be less defensive and more discerning. Anybody with me on that? Sometimes when you hear challenges and complaints in your family and your organization and among something that you really love and you believe in, sometimes you can hear those things wrongly and you can get defensive. And sometimes as a leader, I haven't heard rightly the challenges that are being brought to make our organization better because I've been too defensive sometimes to hear it. And I'm asking God to help me with that and to be discerning. And and maybe you could pray that prayer for yourself too. I don't know if anybody else struggles with that. But I'm asking God to help me to be more discerning and less defensive because this is so important to rightly hear the purpose-driven challenges and handle them rightly in every level of organizations. Besides documenting the growth of the Christian movement in its early years, Luke's purpose here in our text today is to show us how it was happening and how the various threats to the church inside and out and the obstacles to growth became a place for them to overcome. That's what this passage is really about, taking the obstacles and challenges and using them in a a way that becomes a catalyst for growth. Make no mistake, Acts chapter 6 verse 1 sets the stage, this growing number of disciples and this growing challenge and complaint, if you will, it sets the stage for a huge conflict in the early church. It has uh, the ingredients for, for, for something that could take the church completely off the rails. Two different groups of people who speak two different languages, a, a neglect of a group of people. You could see, right, how this could escalate and become something really, really ugly, And sometimes that happens. The church must respond to this crisis and solve it and not, watch this, and not react with defensiveness 
and make it worse. How we handle these intersections of growth oftentimes sends us in a direction as organizations, as a church, as a family, as an individual. So very important. So what do the leaders do? What do they do with this complaint that arises? The the church is growing, but challenges are growing too. How are the leaders going to fill this gap? What do they do to help the church to continue to grow and to rightly handle this challenge? It's found in verses 2 through 6. They gather together. They gather the whole church together, the, the, the apostles do. And they say, here are our swim lanes, if you will. This is what God's called us to do, is to teach and to preach his word to devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching and to to spreading the gospel, the word of God, to as many people as we can. And we need to get more what? More leaders. We need to get more leaders around the table. Remember, I I said the structure that birthed the church, it cannot be the structure that's going to maintain or grow the church. And that's so true for our church. It's so true for us as people, as families, as organizations, whatever you're a part of, what got you there isn't necessarily going to be the structure that takes you where God wants you to go. And that's going to require challenge and change. So we see the apostles handling this in such a great way to put everybody together and say, we got a problem here. We've got a challenge here to our purpose. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we need to get better. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you We're going to ask you to look among yourselves and to nominate, to find people who can lead. And then we're going to lay our hands on them. We're going to appoint them to to take care of this challenge. You know what's interesting about this passage and how they handle this this challenge, this complaint, is that not only do they gather everybody together and they ask them to to, to pray and to, to bring forth leaders. But all of those leaders, every single name that we read earlier in the passage are Greek names. And we know that the Hellenist group speaks what? Greek. So it appears here that the Hellenists are given the responsibility to solve the Hellenistic complaint. And that's a great leadership lesson for us today, isn't it? If you can see the problem... God is probably calling you to help solve the problem. If you can see the problem, you're probably a part of helping to solve that problem. One of the things that our leadership team is about, we meet every single week as a leadership team here at New City, and one of the things that they've heard me say over and over and over again is, please don't bring a problem unless you have a solution. Unless you have an idea about how to solve it, please don't just bring problems If you can see the problem, give your energy and leadership and your effort to helping to solve that problem. That's what we see happening here. The apostles say, we got a real problem here. They don't get defensive. We got a real problem here. But here's what else. We can't solve it. We can't give up what God's given to us to do this. So we need more leaders to come around the table. And one of the jobs of leaders, and as Christ followers, we're all servant leaders. One of the jobs of of leaders is to bring more leaders to the table. To always be identifying other people who can step up and lead and take our place and bring more people to to the table. The more leaders we get, the more leaders that they can get. Can can I just take a moment here and say, you know, at New City, we want to have every single person in a group. We want every single person in a group because we believe that in the context of a group is is the place where discipleship happens best. 
and, and where our three S's can be carried out of being stirred by the scriptures and struggling well with life together and serving others. And we just think in circles, that can happen better than it can in rows. We think rows are important, but we think circles are really important. And, and, and the average group, the average circle has somewhere between eight to 12 people in it. And right now we have about 3,000 people that are coming uh, to our church. So you can do the math on that. We need about 300 groups to get everybody into a circle in our church right now. And then if more people are added to our number, if the Lord sees fit to do that and adds more people to our number through our gospel ministry, we need what? We need leaders. We need 300 leaders just to lead the groups that we, we need today. But if every single group which we want, uh, we want every single group to have a, a champion, a, a group of people who can champion those three values. And if every single group has one or two of those champions, we need somewhere between 600 and 1,000 leaders to lead the groups that we need today. We need leaders to step to the table. And leaders have to constantly be identifying, cultivating, and watch this equipping leaders and releasing them, appointing them to, to live out their God-given gifts in the context of the local church. May that come to pass for us. This reminds me of the person who got to heaven and asked God why he had never answered his many prayers to solve all the problems around him. He said, God, I prayed and prayed and prayed for all the problems that were around me in my family, in my neighborhood, in my city, in my church. I prayed and prayed and prayed, and you never answered any of those prayers the way that I prayed. God, why didn't you answer my prayers? And God patiently waited for him to finish, and he said, I did. God said, I did answer every single one of those prayers I answered. I sent you. I sent you there. I gave you eyes to see. I gave you hands to serve. I gave you a mouth to speak words of life and to pray and to preach and proclaim and demonstrate my love. If you can see the problem, you're probably a part of helping to solve that problem. And if I could foot stomp one more thing, if you're unwilling to own the problems in your life, in your family, in your organization, in your church, then you will not be able to help change them. You have to own the challenges and problems in your own life and around you if you're going to be a part of changing them. And God wants you to. Because the apostles led so well here, they model for us giving leadership away, cultivating leadership, uh, raising up new people to take care of the challenges and problems. They model for us so well, not being defensive, but being discerning. Because they do so many things well for us, and Luke documents it to see how they did that so we can model that as a church today. Because they do that, watch what happens. They keep the main thing the main thing. Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Luke begins and ends this section of Acts by reporting the increase to the number of the disciples. Verse 1 says that the number of disciples was increasing. Verse 7 says that the word of God increased, and what? And the number of the disciples did what? We're not adding anymore. We're multiplying. We're multiplying. And I think this is so significant because this is the first time the word multiply is used to describe the type of growth that's happening in the church. And we know that the church has been exploding. Now, Luke says, the church began to multiply. And I think challenges 
Those intersections where, where things happen and we have to make decisions and as leaders and as people, we, we have to reason together and solve problems. When we overcome those things, it leads to, uh, to, to, to multiplication, not just addition, to a, to a chance to, to really hone in on our purpose. And, and, and oftentimes conflict is the pathway to, to intimacy and knowing each other and working together. So we shouldn't shy away from, from godly gracious conflict because it helps us to to raise the issues and solve them and that's what we see happening here the advancement of the gospel continues to take center stage in the book of acts because the purpose of the church must continue to take priority if complaints and problems become what the church is known for it's over If complaints and problems become what your organization, your company, your family, your neighborhood, your city, your life is known for, you're not living on purpose. And the church models for us so well here that healthy churches have healthy problems and challenges. But in the midst of those problems and challenges, they reason together, they pray through it, they work together, they raise up more leaders. And because of that, they're able to go even further in a faster way. The gospel advances, look at this cause and effect relationship in verse 7. The gospel advances, the word of God increases, and people respond. And the same is true today. The word of God increases and the church multiplies. And then this final note from Luke today, and I'll I'll conclude here. The last part of verse 7, Acts chapter 6. Look at it with me. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, if you've been tracking with us through our witness series in chapters one through five, you know what an incredible statement this is. Talk about an only God moment. What Luke is celebrating here is that the triumph over this in-house complaint has now resulted in a new breakthrough of evangelistic power. And a whole new group of people are coming to Christ. Namely, these priests who have been so hostile to the word of God are now surrendering to the truth of God and giving their lives to Jesus. A rightly handled challenge in our lives and in our church becomes a multiplier. God blesses that and uses it. John Piper says it this way about this text. The church has been tested. She passed the test by caring for widows and guarding the word of God. And now God honors this triumph with new power and new fruitfulness. And may that be the same for us today, New City Church. To God be the glory. What happens next in our series, Beyond, in chapter seven, changes the church forever. We're introduced to a man named Stephen And it's not an overstatement to say that what happens is going to inform the rest of the book of Acts, but you'll have to wait till next week and come back then. Let's pray together. God, may your word dwell richly within our hearts today. May your word, may your truth take root in our lives. And may the result of that be wisdom that only comes from you. To know what you're speaking to us, what you're saying to us, what you're doing in our lives. Give us wisdom. And God, would you also give us faith to trust you, to believe you, to see you, 
and to obey you. I pray today for New City Church that you would help us in the midst of all of our challenges to see you high and lifted up, Jesus, and that we would keep your word, the truth of the gospel, the main thing. Help us to reason with one another, to love one another, and above all, to bring you glory in our city and in our world. It's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.